Part of healing from trauma is getting to the point where you can really honestly take responsibility for your behavior. And trauma can activate some harsh behavior. Just because bad things happened to us though in the past doesn't mean that it's okay for us to lash out or cop out or try to control other people. And blaming other people or parts of ourselves, it's only going to push other people away. So if you want good relationships with other people, you're going to have to do the hard work of honestly facing yourself. You were hurt and that's okay, that's true, but you also have to take steps to change the behavior. So my letter today is from a woman I'll call Lisa and she writes, Dear crappy childhood fairy, here's my thing. Last year on New Year's Eve, my 26 year old daughter, Emily, told me she wanted me out of her life, among other terrible things. She said I was a pathetic loser, I had no friends, I caused trouble wherever I went. I was stunned to say the least. Her entire life, she had never once insulted me or been a source of pain. Growing up, we had a solid relationship. It wasn't until she went to college that we engaged in conflict. The conflicts were about her making choices I didn't respect, such as getting several tattoos, lying about grades, and once I even yelled at her for not being warm to me. I have my fairy pencil here, and I'm circling things I want to come back to on a second reading, but let's go through Lisa's letter and see what's going on. Before you take out your red pen, she said, it's pink. Lisa, it's a pink pen. <laughs> Before you take it out, I recognize that my behavior was inexcusable and I caused my daughter a lot of pain. However, let me go on. We had put these issues to rest. We made amends and continued to enjoy happy times together. By the time she was in grad school, things seemed good again. Enter boyfriend. She fell in love, which was wonderful because her boyfriend is a wonderful man, but instead of continuing on the positive trajectory that defined our relationship, she resurrected old wounds and trauma and developed an aversion to me so obvious that people were uncomfortable being in the same room with us. That ultimately led to the New Year's Eve estrangement. My belief was that she wanted me shelved so she could spend more time with her boyfriend's family, though I never revealed that thought to anyone except my husband. My son convinced Emily to not cut me out of her life, and she ultimately agreed to joint counseling. We stayed in counseling for the next six months, and yes, her aversion to me faded. We started to enjoy each other's company again. So what's my issue? My issue is that I want to once and for all stop hearing the inner child voice inside me telling me I'm worthless. Huh. I too have CPTSD. My mom was the least empathetic mom I've ever known, and my dad was verbally and physically abusive to me. Because of my childhood wounds, I have trouble with trust. I'm locked in a daily struggle that my daughter will cast me off again, or that I have to be perfect to stay in her life, or that she's faking her good feelings toward me. In other words, my anxiety has not been washed away despite the counseling and the good times I've shared with her this year. I do the daily practice, which has helped significantly. I have worked with a private therapist to understand myself, she described me as having an unhealthy obsession with being perfect. 
I have done a deep dive into my emotions and gained a better understanding of where my negative thoughts come from. Backstory, I had engaged in private therapy for years before having kids and off and on when life got too stressful. But why, after all these years of working on strengthening my self-esteem, do I hear that inner voice putting me down? Like Gollum talking to Smeagol. She says, are you a Tolkien fan? <laughs> we know Gollum and Smeagol, yeah. Um, just the other day, when lunching with friends, they commented on how wonderful it was that my daughter and I are doing so well. At that very moment, I started hearing my negative inner child telling me it won't last. It's all fake, and what should have been a joy immediately turned to fear. Why, I, why won't those negative thoughts go away? I feel like a diamond in the rough because I've come so far, but still, I have this cloud around me. Is my negative, insecure voice going to be part of my life forever? I thought I could bring her into the light. Now, I'm only guessing by her, you mean some inner child, inner voice? Hmm, okay. So I couldn't really understand what was going on. I felt like something was hidden in this letter. So I wrote, I wrote to Lisa and said, Hi, I'm intrigued by your letter, but I'm wondering, do you have no insight at all about why your daughter resents you? I would, it would help to know what this is about. What does she say it's about? So Lisa wrote back and said, Basically, I was engaged in dysregulated rages. I got very angry at her for getting tattoos and was out of line. I also yelled at her for lying about her grades and how she rejected my hugs another time. Prior to her college years, it was only her father I exhibited rage toward. So I do understand why she developed resentment toward me. She must have felt I wasn't safe to be around, like I think she would have said that, right? Or angry toward me for treating people in such a manner. I don't believe she trusts me even after the joint therapy and even though there were several years between angry rages. I've since spent a great amount of time working with therapists and strategies to bring myself into re-regulation, one of the reasons I follow your YouTube channel. I'm now in a state of constant fear with every communication with my daughter. I'm afraid that the slightest hint of disappointment, tone, or difference of opinion with her will cause her to emotionally abandon me again. She has a problem with forgiveness. I am a walking, anxious, paranoid, scaredy cat. My child voice keeps saying to me that Emily will never love you and, sh and you will never get control of yourself, blah, blah. I find myself withdrawing more and more from contacting her out of fear she will be terse and surly. And when she's surly to me, I cry for hours. I feel like I destroyed our relationship because it took me too long to get better at self-regulation. All right, Lisa. This is a perplexing letter, but sometimes I can't stop thinking about letters and I know that I have to try to answer them. And I think that um, we're going to get some insight from the comments from other people who watch this video and maybe can help shed light on what's going on. So I don't know you and I don't know your daughter, so I don't know exactly what's going on, but there's something about what you're telling me that's not really reflecting what it is. And I'm going to guess that for whatever reason, you don't have very good insight about this. And I'll tell you what my, my hunch is about that. I think that you might not be taking responsibility for how you behave and you're not listening to what she's telling you bothers her and that she's having trouble setting boundaries or trusting you not only to get angry, but to maybe, as you said, take your perfectionistic tendencies to try to control her, invade her privacy, 
treat her like um, a problem to be solved and not respecting her adult personhood. That is my hunch from what you're telling me. So I will be the first to say, I don't know what's really going on here. And I do know that sometimes when young people go off to college, they get exposed to some pretty negative people and ideas and they come back raging. And I, I know a couple of young people who have done that. It hasn't happened in my family. I'm grateful for that. But in close friends' families, yes, people come back from college just raging all the time. And so I don't think that's always the parents' fault. But it's also plausible that she was bottled up and she was going along with trying to make you happy all this time. And she got old enough and she got out of the family sort of environment enough when she went to college that she woke up. She woke up and realized like she did not like how you were treating her and she felt suppressed as a person. So when you say she has this boyfriend and he's a good guy, if he's a good guy, then it's probably not him like putting ideas in her head to have this relapse into just like not trusting you, being angry at you, going to desperate measures to set boundaries with you. When somebody says, I don't want you in my life anymore, it's a desperate measure to get a boundary. It means that they did not feel that they could get their boundary respected about what you could and could not do with them. So the reason my hunch tilts towards this of thinking you're not, you're minimizing and not quite understanding the issue, not respecting what she's telling you, and you're turning it into something else is because what I heard, Lisa, is that you have kind of a wobbly ability to take responsibility for your behavior. You said, I, before you take out your pen, yes, I was so mean, you know, and you did these things, as if you're trying to preemptively defend yourself. Now, everybody here has CPTSD, and most of us have had the experience of like lashing out, getting emotionally dysregulated. But the thing is, that's something we can talk about amongst ourselves when we're working on healing. But when we actually do it to other people, like trying to raise the point that we're just, you know, oh, I have trauma wounds. It's, it's, it's not an excuse. It's, in fact, I think it's counterproductive to try to tell people that they should accept it because we had trauma. Really, any, any healthy person is just like, well, whatever the reason is, you don't get to be abusive to me. And, and having an intense rage at somebody and trying to control them, it is abuse. It is abuse. There are worse kinds of abuses, and I'm sure you know that. But I also encourage you to actually let in. It's abusive. And people are delicate little flowers, really, inside. And especially young people are trying to grow up and trying to assert their truth, trying to figure out who they are. Life can be very painful as, as we each are going through the phases of figuring these things out. So somebody coming in and trying to control and judge and think they know better is, is, uh, is really not helpful. It'd be one thing if somebody was, I don't know, driving drunk, or I get that lying about grades is pretty serious, but given the context of everything you said, I'm guessing that she lied about her grades because she couldn't deal with your reaction to it. I know, you know, that's like, that's what every kid who's in trouble, it's like, well, I didn't want to deal with you as if it's your fault. But in your case, because of your history of rages and because what sounds like difficulty respecting her boundaries and autonomy as an adult, she did not want to deal with you. And um, I could see that that would be a helpful response. So I also hear that you've seen many, many therapists over this. And just because that's commendable that you've tried, but what I'm not seeing is that it's worked yet. You've had these, these periods, but all you're thinking about now 
this panic that you have, it's thinking about you. I'm gonna just really prod you. It's time to think about not you, but the other person, is how can you hear what she's saying? Because I don't think you're gonna get any peace or confidence that she's gonna stay in your life if you can't really understand what, what the issue is for her and what she's asking for. Now, it's possible that even if you knew what that was, like really knew without any defensiveness, but like a humble opening to what it is, without trying to get people to look over there, you know, don't get out the red pen, you know, but just like, oh, wow, I did do that. That's, that is really hard. And maybe you did that in the therapy session, but to heal, like that humility has to kind of stay. It has to feel like it's never going to be different. And I'm guessing that you're scared because you know it's, it's not going to be different. That, that, that aspect of yourself where you're invasive or controlling or rageful about people not being your expectation of how they're supposed to be, the person they're supposed to be, that you haven't really had healing around that yet. So I would direct all your attention there. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, you may not have known this, I know a lot of people who use an inner child metaphor for um, the part of themselves that didn't get raised properly, and they imagine reparenting themselves. I have concerns, though, when people take this literally as if there's this other entity who can be blamed for their bad behavior. My inner child just wants this. So you're in therapy, and your therapist is the person who you've commissioned to help you with this the most, but I'm going to give you my opinion. I think it might be helpful if you stop using your inner child as a metaphor or an excuse and say, I, I feel, not your inner child feels, not my inner child says, but I feel what I said. Just be a unified being, I, it is you, it is you, you know, however you want to like give a name to aspects of yourself, it's all you. And when you admit that it's you, you're taking responsibility in a much more trustworthy way. I know for me, if I were in your daughter's shoes and somebody at all mentioned that their, their inner child was to blame for something, I would be exasperated and it wouldn't help my trust. It probably would push me back a little further. And so I was confused what you said is I thought I could bring her into the light. And there is no her, it's you. And so you, right now, because you're not in the light, you're having trouble having peace in your heart. You're not in the light. So you need to work on coming into the light. Does this shift of perspective help you, Lisa? To me, it's terribly important. It's everything. It's everything to accept responsibility. It's very hard. You know, there's this ego deflation that happens sometimes when we reckon with the way that trauma has distorted our behavior and messed up our relationships. There's nothing else for it but to finally take responsibility because for all the people who love us and have been in our sphere in our lives, it's us. It's us who did that. So that's what I encourage you to do is take responsibility. You said you've been using the daily practice, but the reason I know it's not very significant for you is because you're asking me how do I deal with this fear? And so something I'm gonna just put, put out there Let's say you see your therapist every week. Whatever your therapy is doing for you is what you're experiencing right now. If you want to try a slightly different experience and perspective, in the seven days between your two therapy appointments, you don't have to quit unless you decide that therapy doesn't work for you. But between those two appointments, 
to do the daily practice twice a day, exactly as I teach it. For anybody watching this, the daily practice is a twin set of techniques that I teach that I've been using for 30 years now. They saved my life when I was shown how to do it back then, and I've continued to use them every day. And it's allowed me to overcome devastating fear about expressing myself and self-suppression that would then come out as self-explosion on people. Huge problems that I've overcome day by day, naming my fearful and resentful thoughts and putting them on paper and then asking for them to be removed. I believe in God, so for me it's a prayer, it's a prayer where I, I name what it is and ask God to remove them. For people who don't, are not oriented that way, maybe you work with your higher self or the universe, you can adjust the ending of the writing to release it um, as you believe. It's important to do something that feels true to you, but to appeal to the strongest thing that you believe exists that has the power to bring healing and peace to you. And you give up those fears and resentments, then you rest for 20 minutes in meditation and not any meditation, not walking meditation, not looking at our phones meditation like I've done before, but like actual meditation, closing your eyes and resting. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to cost money, although actually getting trained by a teacher can be quite helpful if, if you decide you want to continue with meditation. So you get those fears on paper. You write for as long as it takes to get a little emotional relief. Maybe that's three full pages. Maybe it's one full page. Then 20 minutes of meditation. No agenda. Not trying to be anything or bring anybody into the light. You just name your fears, which is basically, you know, a concession. I just can't really handle what I've, all this junk in my mind. And we're not imagining that. When you have CPTSD, your thoughts and feelings, they don't get processed as well. There is a lot going on. So we're assisting all that mental clutter to just kind of get rinsed away and move downstream. Now, some of us, especially if you have like an urge to control, it can be scary to surrender or release these fearful or resentful thoughts because all of our lives, sometimes the anxiety we felt, the anger we felt, that was how, that was all we had to really set a boundary or protect ourselves. But they don't set boundaries or protect ourselves. Boundaries are boundaries and protecting ourselves are acts of self-protection. Naming our fearful and resentful thinking and releasing it doesn't negate the option to continue having those feelings if that's what naturally comes. But what we do with CPTSD is we get into obsessive feeling and thinking and ruminating and dwelling on things till we lose perspective. It makes it very hard to know where our own behavior becomes a problem and where somebody else's behavior is the problem. There's a lot of confusion there. The daily practice is a way you rinse away the thoughts about that and clarity gradually comes to visit your mind. It just drifts in like snow. Okay. By the way, when you said she has a problem with forgiveness, I don't think anybody has a problem with forgiveness. They just don't forgive you yet. And I don't think forgiveness is something anybody is obliged to manufacture. It's, it doesn't mean anything if people are forced to have it. For ourselves, we don't get to say who forgives people. You can say, can you please forgive me? But they're not under any obligation. And it's just honest if people say no, it's just honest. But for ourselves, we can focus on naming the fear and resentment. And you'll find that when you have less fear and resentment, forgiveness will a little bit be like an energy that you already have. It sort of comes stronger when you have less of this. And then they did this and I remember things ought to be this way and I don't like how they are and I don't like how time has 
change things and I, you know, there's a lot not to like. So we start to make more peace with how things are and get a better recognition of how other people get to completely direct their own lives as long as they're not hurting us, harming us. And we properly take our attention and bring it into our own lives. So I hear you doing that. It was very courageous to write to me and for the benefit of everybody here. I don't know about perfectionism. What I hear is control and um, unacknowledged shame and guilt about past behavior. That's my instinct about you. So shame and guilt is resentment at yourself. If you go into my free daily practice course, Lisa, and anybody who's watching, it's a free course. There's always a link to it down below in the description section, and I'll put a link at the end of the video that'll make it easy to get right over to it. But the free daily practice course, it tells you how to do these techniques. It's a specific writing technique, very specific. Don't try this without reading the instructions exactly. It can make you feel worse if you're not doing it exactly. And then resting in meditation, and then see what you do. In this free course, there are then, I think, two dozen FAQ videos about what if I feel worse? Why do we say fear? Um, what exactly is resentment anyway? Where does this come from? And so you can get all your questions answered, but even before you go to the FAQ section, you can learn how to do it and get a little peace. When your mind quiets down with less fear and resentment kind of going around like hamsters on a wheel, clarity comes, insight comes, and you will begin to the, the, the you know there, there's no voice inside it's your inner knowledge it's your wisdom it's your self-awareness and your awareness of the world that will help to inform you what's going on what is it that you're doing that's alienating her what is it that she's doing that's beyond anything that you can change those are all things they're a great mystery with other people but how we discover it is through inner peace inside and tuning in and paying attention but if you've ever heard the term hula hoop, I love that word. It's like we go inside our own hula hoop. So your fear, your fear and anxiety about what's gonna happen here and thinking there's something wrong with you, this is in your hula hoop for you to deal with. How she reacts to you is outside your hula hoop. It's information. It's information that it's not working. So if you respect her, if you believe her, and I'm not saying you have to, I don't respect and believe everybody who freaks out on me, or, you know, not necessarily, but if you do, I urge you to try to take seriously and understand better what she's saying with no argument, no resistance, no um, contrariness, not like, well, true, but, you know, none of that, just like, thank you for telling me what it is. And then you go think about that. If it upsets you, you always have your daily practice to go to. Now, if you can take seven days to do that between therapy appointments, you can experience really the radical difference in what the daily practice is, which is how we release all this stuff and stop telling the story of it versus therapy where, because this is what it's for, is for focusing on the story of it. So it's very different to release the story of it and let something new come in and sort of trust there is, there's something there for you. So you can see, you can see if there's something there for you in doing the daily practice. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, Think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.